You're listening to Fundraising Radio, a podcast about fundraising for early stage startups. The major rule that we follow here is no bullshit on this podcast. No music to relax you, no advertisements of our sponsors. We only talk about fundraising here and nothing else. So let's jump into the episode. And today as a guest speaker, we have Gail Christine Gannon, Managing Director at Wave Edge Capital, Founder at... Ansante Mentor Advisor to Startups at U.S. Market Access Center and an angel investor. So Gail has a lot of titles and we'll touch on to many of those, but specifically we'll talk about pivoting, how that works, what resources does the United States provide to the entrepreneurs versus the other countries. So uh, Gail, let's kick off by you giving us some background on yourself and on Wave Edge Capital. Sure, happy to do so. Uh, I'm uh, a typical, and I think that you would say that for many entrepreneurs, we come by our life uh, career experiences in not a straight line, actually quite circuitous. I actually am formally trained in healthcare practice, have a degree in public health, actually. I worked in um, the government and healthcare services for a long time, and then I pivoted wherein I found out that uh, I actually enjoyed the operational and business side and was given a lot of encouragement. I really attribute my success to uh, many mentors along my path, uh, That, with, but for them, they're the ones that gave me the nudge to look at something differently and to really uh, challenge myself professionally. And so had jumped into the business side of healthcare operations and health IT which is uh, not atypical for many people who have an epidemiologic background. So in the time of COVID-19, I probably know more than I sh- want to know. Uh, I'm actually trained in infectious disease epidemiology with a background in pulmonary healthcare. Nice. Um, so uh, after that, I got more involved in um, leveraging health IT into particular interest in the biotech and health tech field and now in, in the new a field of digital therapeutics. Um, digital therapeutics, uh, again, expands and, and now the convergence of many different interests and, and global health is looking at uh, technology in healthcare safety, smart city technology, mobile technology, and um, also direct to consumer technology where you're really trying to encourage people to take a more active role in um, caring for themselves and their families and their loved ones. That's really interesting. And by the way, nice that you've made a personal pivot. That's really interesting. So let's talk about nice. Wave Edge Capital. <laughs> so let's talk about Wave Edge Capital. What what do you do there? What do you invest in? What is Wave Edge Capital? Right. Sure. Wave Edge Capital is a boutique healthcare investment bank. And so it's not an investor group. Uh, the According to FINRA, it's a broker-dealer obligation to help with companies who are seeking assistance with raising capital. So that's an investment bank's traditional responsibilities and roles are. And our obligation is to adhere to FINRA laws to ensure that the deal structure is safe and fair on both sides of the party. So Wave Edge Capital is best known for, and, and, and I have, cannot take any credit for it, it's actually my colleagues, um, John Seerig and, and Jeff Karen, who actually were the instrumental in inking a, a deal with Mangle Health and the Express Scripts on behalf of um, the Kleiner Perkins um, Boutique, uh, well, Kleiner Perkins Investment Pipeline. So this is one of their um, 
their investment portfolio companies. So that it was a, a really neat success to their um, to their credit. Mm -hmm. Right. And you're you're also a founder at Ensante. And sorry if I pronounced yes, that that's wrong. Fine. It's a made up word and like many oh, other nice. words. So Ensante, as opposed to Votre Sante, it means to your health. And so it really just literally means in health. And the intent of that was because of my experiences working in, in the global health community and, and French and, and Francophone and, and the many countries in Africa who are Francophone and also in Asia who happen to have become Francophone. So I really developed that company um, to, to express our interest in my colleague is Barrett Joshi and a number of other uh, companies uh, so that we are affiliated with, including US Market Access, uh, to really show that our particular interest is to help startups and entrepreneurs that are actually outside of the US who not only want visibility into the US market, but really understand uh, the entrepreneurial mindset and, and how we can help move their uh, current company and their vision of the company into the U.S. market. That's really interesting. I love talking about, you know, uh, moving one start from one country to another. So that's awesome. And integrating those into U.S. specifically. So um, let's talk about the healthcare, you know, digital therapeutic uh, field now during COVID, it's super hot topic. What do you see there happening now, in spe specifically in those earlier stage startups? So do you see a spike in the number of startups that are trying to help people solve the COVID issue or it's pretty much the same or, you know, what's going on there? Sure. Uh, so, um, you know, it's very interesting in this time now. And uh, what I would say is that many different companies are trying to respond to the COVID pandemic in, in several different approaches, uh, everything from diagnostics to developing therapeutics and then ultimately vaccines. But then there are also other technology on the periphery, whether it's to help with track and trace or developing uh, personal protection equipment technology. And so there's a, a huge floodgate and um, to the FDA's credit, the idea uh, and the concept of, of emergency use authorization to really help fast track technology to provide um, better solutions and, and, and more accessible solutions to a broader population. I, I really do applaud them for that. Um, the thing I would say cautionary tale is that I think a lot of companies you know, jumping on that bandwagon, however laudable, they have to really take a, a, a really deep look at what their core competencies are and really understand if really if their technology that they're currently making now maps to what needs are in, in the COVID pandemic. And that's an honest look. Uh, and why do I say that? Because sometimes what happens is that it, it's a more opportunistic than it is strategic and you can get very derailed. And as an early stage startup, your biggest resources is time. You don't have cash, right? You only have time. And so you have to ask yourself, as a founder, as a startup, whether or not the technology that you actually have can really map to the uh, either response prediction prevention of COVID, or really is best to just continue along the road that you actually are on and build to that technology, whether it's for oncology or neuropathology, or whether it's other kinds of technologies that help improve the way we deliver healthcare. So cautionary tale. But on that note, I will say that there is actually one company talking about a pivot. There is one company that I had the pleasure of advising out of the Republic of Georgia 
And uh, what had happened with this particular founder, and he had to be quite his credit, he's a second time or maybe perhaps even third time entrepreneur, was that he was frustrated with the access of uh, PPEs in his country. And um, at that time, when we first met him, he was actually uh, trying to develop a, a way to scale traditional ways of making Georgian wines. And so that entailed the use of a 3D printer to create large um, casks called queries. And in the midst of the pandemic, he said, okay, you know what? This is not working. I'm really concerned a lack of access to respirator masks. So he decided to leverage his understanding of applications of 3D printers to create better respirator masks. So fast forward, several months now, I've been working with him because we've, we really appreciate his passion and, and understanding and, and really going deep. And that's something that I laud any entrepreneur is that if you're going to do something, you, you have to really be uh, really in many ways at first a, a jack of all trades, at least to understand what you don't know and to find and, and to surround yourself with a team that'll help you augment and complement your understanding. So to this day now, he's actually um, going to be creating prototypes that, that are, are being tested and, uh, and, and ultimately to be deployed to first responders, including the military and police and the healthcare workers in the Republic of Georgia. So I really applaud him. He's moved very, very, very fast, uh, given yes. the nature and complexity of developing uh, respirator masks. Mm -hmm. And we hope that we will actually bring that to market in the US. That's awesome, and best of luck to you there. But let's actually, speaking of masks, let's talk about the saturation of the market in the startup field in general. So when someone comes up with an idea uh, for a startup, one of the things, okay, not one of the things that they're looking at, but one of the things I believe they should be looking at is how fast is the market they want to go in is growing uh, year over year. So like if there is a, you know, above 10% growth of that market that they're targeting, that's a great place to be at. But with that 10% year over year growth of the market comes the saturation. So number of other startup founders want to join uh, this specific market. How, how would you recommend founders, you know, identify the fields that are growing fast enough, but not fast enough to be oversaturated? Is there even such a market? Sweet spot, you mean? Yes. <laughs> So I'll be really honest, you know, and I think that you, you you did a fantastic job outlining that. I think one of the people things that people don't really appreciate is that how long it takes to get to market. Right? It's it's not it's there because FDA is here and we are highly regulated markets, just even beyond the FDA, that the pathway to commercialization it takes a long time. It's very costly, so you have to take an honest look at whether or not technology then the problem you're truly trying to solve is something that's a, a problem that's going to be a lasting issue and that it's also equity and access. So I think one of the, the, the biggest tenets that I would say, especially in the healthcare market, it's, a, it's, it's costly. It's very costly. And you have to be very clear that the solution and the, and the problem that you're solving to and the, the actual solution that you're providing to that problem you're mapping to is cost effective it's, it's, it's in some ways it has to be uh, ex universally accessible. So there's a democratization to that. And then that will actually secure your sustainability. And, and that's a big ask, right? Cause you have to really test that market. And, and how do you test the market? You really have to know your, your target customers deeply. You have to understand the decision-making process in order to access those customers. Who's gonna be covering the cost? The U.S. market is, uh, for healthcare is really complicated. And so unlike other markets in, in the world, really the, the actual payment and reimbursement system 
and and the highly regulated aspects of that is, is challenging. It's additional uh, factor on top of just trying to understand and solve the pain points of your customers. And so I would say that take a very good look, very deep look on how the, the market affects those regulatory aspects and the cost and reimbursement side of, of your solution and, and understanding whether or not you can even enter the market given the solution you're trying to build. And if not, then more importantly is to consider what, who are the likely partners that you can work with to help you fast track to market. Uh, these are partners who have already distribution channels, inroads, relationships with some of the uh, payers, the major national payers. They already are attending to those target markets. So there's an easier path to get to actually uh, disseminate your solution. That's what I would strongly encourage, especially for first time entrepreneurs is really don't be a maverick. Don't go out there on your own. There's plenty of ways that you can get to market with your creative. And, and really consider deep partnerships to help you both develop or co-develop your technology to test the market, as well as partnerships who can do the heavy lifting and actually supplant some of, of the investments that are gonna be required in order to, to get your product to market. Mm -hmm. Right, I love the don't be the average advice. <laughs> uh, that's, that's definitely the thing for the startup founders. But now it's time for us to talk about your traveling around the world. And let's start with the Georgia Republic. As I discovered recently, Georgia Republic is not part of the United States, as I thought. It's not the state of Georgia. Uh, so, not even. Is there a state called Georgia? There is a state called Georgia. Yes. All right. I was like, wait, is there? Okay. Georgia, uh, <laughs> the Center for Disease Control is. And so, I'll have to be somewhat apolitical here is that I had I and it's known that in my Facebook I had actually posted that it's safer to be in the Republic of Georgia than it is to be in, in the land of Georgia because of the controversial and, and, and misinformation that's being disseminated about the COVID pandemic and and what people need to do to proactively protect right. and safeguard themselves and their loved ones. So, so yes. Now let's take it. Uh, let's compare those two. So the Republic of Georgia versus the Georgia uh, in terms from the startup founder point of view. So yeah. a lot of founder I've seen in the United States specifically complain about the laws, the taxes and all that stuff. But I keep saying that, you know, America is pretty much having compared to multiple other countries. What do you think was the major advantage of the U.S. based uh, startup founders versus those based in the, let's say, Republic of Georgia? Sure, absolutely. I think one of the most things that the, the, uh, the obviousness of it and it's it's unfortunate but it's true it, it, there's there, there's money here right you have you have dry powder you have capital to infuse uh, the investors are willing to take uh the an, an idea or a concept and i think there's a, a, a more of a, a risk-taking tolerance that you may not see because of the infusion of capitals available in, in the u.s market so that that's sort of one of the Sort of overarching themes that we see in the, the that they, we look at the U.S. market is a very large market. It's a very diverse market, so there's a, a greater tolerance for opportunism and and risk taking that couldn't otherwise afford in other countries. And with that too, there's also and sort of an I don't know if it's a sort of a, I would say um, an early adopter mindset perhaps that there's a there's a it comes with risk taking that's willing to try out new things. That they mm -hmm. couldn't otherwise try out in other countries, because again, for for just general capital in the populace, not just even for those investors, but people have a certain amount of money, and the and the money is in maybe tight. 
and and so they're particularly focused on really trying to attain to sort of mal, what I call Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? You know, food, shelter, right, roof over your head, right? That kind of things are really important, uh, and that they're 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 the main basics. If you can't get the basics taken care of, there's really it's very difficult sometimes to innovate and to operate or to create. Uh, to really actually create and, and to be fluid in that creativity, to have the ecosystems that allow to foster creativity it can be very, very difficult when you're just trying to attend to some of the basic needs. So I think that's one of the things that the U.S. Uh, market, well, <laughs> we'll see, right? So we're in a very unusual time. Uh, we're, right. we're, it, it was a pre-COVID where the U.S. market uh, uh, encouraged that floodgate of, of entrepreneurship, of creativity, and have the different ecosystems in the major metropolitan areas that foster that, whether the innovation hubs or accelerators. I mean, everywhere you go in the new metropolitans have those resources. So I, I mentioned a little bit about the entrepreneurial mindset. So what does that entail? But there's, a, there's this openness, there's a sort of thinking about the, the paying forward and those who have done well are more than willing to offer mentorship that is not often accessible in, in other countries. So there's this, Sort of breaking down of, I would say, the breaking down of the the structural, the hardcore walls of of many um, what we consider monolithic or uh, industries. There's a real openness to sharing, to really paying it forward mentality that is often not available in other countries. And so with that, that that helps early stage entrepreneurs and startups to be able to access people you wouldn't otherwise access. And so this this open network network without borders is unusual, and I think that that if you know savvy entrepreneurs and startups they should leverage that. The the ask is is fairly easy, it's it's fairly seamless, and uh, that is I think unusual where uh, even across industries. So even if I'm not adept, for example, I'm not adept in the automotive industry. But if you if you ask me, I would probably more than likely know someone or know two or three very mm -hmm. key opinion leaders who can actually offer and the entrepreneur advice that I could otherwise offer. And I'm happy to make that referral. And so there's that openness that doesn't often exist in other countries. Uh, in, in, to, to Georgia's credit, really to Georgia's credit and, and to the uh, Georgia Innovation and, and technology agencies credit. There is that that they are they, they, the reasons why they brought myself and, and my colleagues over there was to help fuel that entrepreneurial ecosystem, to make a, a a concerted effort, not just in terms of resources and time, but really to create the hooks and integration with the industry leaders in Georgia to help. So with the banking, with uh, with financing, with other with other industries that can actually build out that ecosystem and provide that that what I would say the entrepreneurial mindset that that exists here um, that's very strong in Silicon Valley and, and other major metropolitan areas. Right. I hope after this speech, people will appreciate you as more than they used to. So I hope my speakers like living in the US and appreciate that. And those who are not are planning to move here. And also, I encourage you to visit the West Coast versus East Coast. <laughs> so uh, let's oh, talk about uh, other countries in terms of undervalued sure. markets. So yes, one of the issues here is, of course, saturation. There are just multiple startups here, and especially on the West Coast and East Coast. So um, one of the things that I've heard from startup founders is that they're trying to start their startup here in the US, but then they're like, oh, maybe I should go to some other country. It's going to be cheaper to start there. What, what are your thoughts on this? Does it make sense? And would you recommend that to anyone? 
So what I have encouraged in many of our startups that come to us here is that keep your dev team in country. Maybe move your marketing, some of your marketing activities here if you want to get into the U.S. market. But there's absolutely no reasons why you can't keep your dev team in country. Or more importantly, now with uh, in the time of COVID and then some, the, the whole idea of, of, of having a physical team really for a very long time, I can't foresee it ever happening for a while. I think more than anything else, uh, I think what we'll see is that teams will always be virtual. And so what does that look like? So you can leverage people's skills and expertise, whether you go to Estonia or whether you go to uh, Belarus or whether you go to countries like Georgia or, or in Asia, the, the, the technology, technological know-how and expertise exists all over the globe and you have it accessible now at your fingertips that you wouldn't otherwise have. And that's amazing. That's absolutely true so let's talk about your mentorship again so going back to what you said you know mentorship is widely available in the united states and like over half of my speakers participating on fundraising radio are willing to mentor some startups that i send their way so it's definitely true now let's talk about your mentorship uh what do you do as a mentor for the um u.s market access center Sure. So as a mentor for U.S. market access, the goal is to, again, as I mentioned earlier, about the, you know, really helping to instill the disciplines of an entrepreneurial mindset. That's It's different in the sense of how you approach problem solving, solution building, and, and customer engagement, and how you even build your team. This is a whole different ethos that's really uh, difficult to appreciate unless you're actually immersed here. And, and that's one of the, um, the advantages of coming to the U.S. market is to really get in, in immersed in that the practice and discipline that you would otherwise see in other countries. Now, it's coming in other countries, and I do want to make sure I answered your, one of your questions more explicitly about other um, sort of undervalued markets. I, I see that I mentioned Georgia is one of them. I, I can appreciate that, and, and I, I understand that uh, countries like, for example, Estonia, uh, some of the countries in the Northeastern Bloc, I, I, I am very bullish about some of the countries in, in Africa, whether it's in South Africa or Rwanda um, or, or countries like in Kenya. I think that those are um, markets that have been untapped. I think there's rich resources there that are, are, um, are, are you know, I would say, not, not just white space, but really greenfield, where there's 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 opportunities and, and there are people who have the expertise to actually drive and excel the market. So I would I would definitely look at other uh, ways to actually build out your team. And again, teams are going to be virtual for a very long time. Absolutely. I tell agree with you, the distribution of teams across the world is Awesome, I personally love it. Uh, but now let's talk about portfolio. So on our pre-entry call, we've chatted a little bit about the female investment specifically and yes. some female focused funds like Portfolio, uh, SoGal Ventures uh, and multiple others, many of whom I had on fundraising radio. And yes. recently they've been seeing really decent returns on their investments. Why do you think is that and how does that work? Sure. So 
I think with the women med funds have ex, ex, um, performed extremely well because they've onboarded some seasoned investors. So, for example, Tris Costello, who's the founder, right, she's a venture. She's considered the venture capitalist godmother. She really is. And then my mentor, Nola Masterson, uh, one of the mentors in the portfolio, specifically focused on femtech, and 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 she's currently based in San Francisco. You know, she's a pioneer in biotech. She is. She is. Uh, it really, again, I would call her the godmother of biotech as a biotech executive. Um, <laughs> when when the days didn't, of, of biotech and women in biotech didn't exist, and she was the first biotech analyst on Wall Street. That tells you anything. And so, with those kinds of, of really uh, deep expertise, deep chops, deep chops in science, you can't help but help, um, know that they're going to actually do extreme good due diligence. They have, they're well connected to the industry. They they themselves are key opinion leaders in particular domains. But more importantly is that we've known time and time again that di diversity, in, investing in diverse startups actually outperform uh, the, the other kinds of startups. And, and they're for lots of reasons. One of the things is that they're very, they're more capital efficient. You know, um, they have a 35% higher ROI. Um, that's that in and of itself is good reasons to invest in, in these women-led um, founded companies. And, and so that, you know, they, they perform 12% higher in revenue than startups and run by men. So, you know, no offense, but that, that's not something that I had did research. It was actually <laughs> done by the Kaufman Foundation. So they're, they're, this is rigorous research. And so with that, I mean, th th this makes its financial sense more than anything else. It's not even to do with quote unquote gender balance is that the fact that they're having diverse populations brings, uh, the, it brings more rigor to the startup. It, it, it brings a, a, a confluence of many different disciplines I, and, and, and perhaps one of my biases is that, you know, women are natural networkers. I think I can uh, comfortably say that um, they, they are also uh, big integrators. I think that that also helps in, in as a startup is, is being able to really look at the, um, the startup itself and look at it and, and look at the confluences of, of forces and how that's going to affect the startup going to market. And I think that um, the, the women's, women's brains we we are we are wired to see things in, on on multiple layers that perhaps and again no offense to men is it that this is sort of our, our natural ability to take in information we take information and we process information differently and I think that that there's some advantages to that but I, I think one of the main tenets that people would agree with wholeheartedly is that we are natural networkers and we're natural collaborators and there's a beauty to that. And, um, and and I think that that reflects in, in terms of financial returns. All right. Yeah, I cannot say I totally agree with that, but probably <laughs> that's right. I have never seen I haven't seen much research on those topics, so I can't say much. It's just only my personal observations. And yeah, can't I'm not I'm not going to go into the details of this point because I wanted to touch on the startup pivots and if we're going to sure, the subject absolutely. of you know female versus male in the startup industry, it's going to take us way too long. So way too long. Just, just yeah. an observation and and a, um, some hardcore research by the Kaufman Foundation. <laughs> so right, that's I, I that sounds like a valid argument, honestly. So let's talk about the pivots you've done, the personal pivots, but now let's talk about startup pivots. So uh, what are the major indicators for a startup to pivot? So you know, uh, should be uh, a founder saying a certain budget for development, and then if 
in that budget, no traction is generated or no significant progress is achieved, they should pivot or should it be some, I know, churn rates or should be some other indicators? Are there any indicators that specifically should tell you, you know, you're doing something wrong, change it? Right. So I think one of the most important indicators, and it's actually one of the most cost effective indicators is to start having, continue to have conversations with your target customer. I think one of the main tenets that startups uh, founders don't realize is that you should always be talking to your customer, your target customers, and they are the greatest indices of a market change. And that also talk, tell you about whether or not the, the current product that you're, or your services that you're developing are, are mapped to the solutions that they really need. Are you fulfilling the needs that they're asking for, they're identifying? And those, those are great indices in and of itself. On, on the hardcore side, in terms of metrics, right, the KPIs that you put there, you know, I, one of the biggest challenges that, that founders find themselves down a, a rabbit hole is that what I call vanity measures, right? Vanity measures versus outcomes measures. Making sure that you're, you're, not, making, you're not measuring processes, but you're measuring outcomes that actually drive to the bottom line. Are you being capital efficient? You know, what is the cost of your customer? Customers, uh, customer acquisition costs are are they going down or are they staying the same? Why are they staying the same? You know, how are you developing your product in the way that's most capital efficient? Do you see your market growing in in the way that you predict them to grow? Are you getting the kinds of advice you're getting on the board? So let me be clear that every every team, every great team, has, is is um, also has great advisors people who are deep in industry, people who understand the market, people who can help you appreciate some of the nuances of the market that you're going after, people who can actually give you some insights into how markets are crossing over. I think with anything with COVID now and, and um, post-COVID, is you'll see a confluence of markets and technology platforms that, that best serve are going to cross over several industries, not just one. Absolutely. That's great advice. And by the way, let's touch just really quickly on the advisors. One of the questions that I get is how much should I pay my advisor in terms of the stake in the company? I've seen a variety of options, but my personal standard is, you know, per advisor, I mean, for all advisors, roughly 2% pool of the company. Is that standard or would you recommend some, some other number? Well, first of all, you're not going to give it to them at once. <laughs> I mean, advisors are, are part of your team, and so you you have to be clear why the advisors are on board and hold them to certain metrics too. What are their responsibilities that they're going to um, provide to the organization that will provide some crit some critical. Uh, I would say metrics, so critical milestones that the advisors are driving toward. So the so-called two percent, first of all, it's sort of high, <laughs> and and second of all, it's it's earned. It's it, these are earnouts that basically are deserving of advisors that have actually provided some uh, salient help to the company's growth and or scale. Hold up. You said two percent is a little bit too high. Uh, what's what's <laughs> what's your ideal number for all the advisors? Let's say uh, another startup. I would say I mean that I see early on and uh, on their deck. They're usually you know three four advisors. Pretty sure only like half at least of them get some equity, and the other two are just sitting there you know helping whenever they can. Uh, but what's what's your what do you think is uh, the optimal? Uh, percentage of the company that you should give out to advisors? Well, so first of all, it depends on the stage of the company. 
I should be clear about right. that too, whether it's early stage or later stage companies, because obviously later stage companies, they prove some value in the market. And, and honestly, your, your stocks are worth more. I mean, e equity is, equity is cash. I think people in the startup uh, earlier entrepreneurs in the, in the, when they don't think of it that way, they think of it as more fluid and it's not and, and investors take it quite seriously. So managing your cap table is extremely important. And, and so when you're onboarding an advisor and they're going to be, uh, you know, they're going to be playing a salient role in the growth of your company or both the establishment and the growth of your company, you need to be clear that the, the equity that you're doling out is something that's that, that's providing value to the company. So I don't want to give any kind of hard, fast percentage, but as I said, you know, I have no problems with two percent per se. But what I I want to say is that these are earnouts, right? They have to really earn it. There's there are milestones to mm -hmm. actually getting and or, or obtaining the the equity that you're attending to, and so and those have to be really clear what they are. Um, again, just like um, I was talking about vanity measures. You don't want to get vanity advisors either. <laughs> you want advisors who are really going to help your company right. both establish market traction as well as grow the market. And, and no offense to any advisors who are all well-meaning and all, but you know, sometimes they, they can be helpful and sometimes they can be challenging. And they, they, be clear that they're part of your team. And, and, Absolutely. And I think that, uh, again, more than anything else, I can't emphasize uh, with early stage entrepreneurs and startups is that your biggest resource is time. You don't have cash. Mm -hmm. So you manage your time wisely. Because time is because every, 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 and, and make sure that you, and, and, and I guess this is an old adage that I say, and when you get up in the morning or before you go to bed at night, make sure you're very deliberate about how you spend your time. Right, right. That's, that's true. Prioritize, make lists of things you need to get and ignore smaller tasks. So definitely great, great uh, advice here. So in this great advice, we're moving on to the last question of today's episode, which is a call to action. So uh, Gail, what's the one thing you want listeners to do as soon as the episode is over? So I, I don't know, if, uh, well, um, I don't know when it's going to be over and I don't know if business <laughs> will ever be usual. I think people should embrace, this is the new order. This is, this is business. This is our new business as usual. And I, 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 it's not to scare people. It's asking really entrepreneurs and startups in the, in the entrepreneurs that are thinking about going into the startup world. This is a time for great creativity. This is an opportunity for people to really think deeply about what kinds of either technological solutions or confluences of technology that they can create that there are both uh, in, in terms of I, 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 this is mean, this is mean advocating for that will they actually will be accessible to all. So it's equity as well as sustainable technology. I think that that's where we're moving toward very much value-based driven these days. I think the days, as I mentioned earlier to you um, before we got on um, this particular podcast, was that the, the days of, of planned obsolescence are gone. Okay. We're built to last. Well, what is it to build to last? How do you build to last? And, and so with that, if I could, I don't have any one particular advice, but I can give you some sort of my thoughts, my armchair about sort of attending to what kinds of technologies I think are, are for the future. And, and startup folks who are listening and entrepreneurs are listening and see if, if your technology maps to this. And again, this is just sure. my opinion, right? I, I have uh, and my assessment and it really speaks to Maslow's hierarchy of needs and, and, and just slightly beyond that. I think there's gonna be a huge issue with food supply and security. 
I think that's going to be a, a, a an, an issue for the world at large, and 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 not to undermine that the fact that again with that and in my practice of, of both health tech and digital health, there's going to be a huge expansive growth in that area. And how do you leverage neural networks and AI to actually help uh, healthcare providers make more informed decisions and do it in a dynamic way? And what that looks like today, I don't know, but I can see uh, the growth of, of wearables. It's a huge expansion, whether it's Google, Apple, and all other companies along that path. I, I think there's going to be greater opportunities for the individuals to, to play a more active role in their own care. With that too, as you now see, especially in California, there's an, and with the environmental changes and climate and issues, I think that we're, there's going to be uh, a, a huge growth in environmental tech and how how we we manage our 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 tender earth i think there's also going to be a, a big change now in supply chain management and operations and how we do that and not only just the last mile which everyone has been more focused on but looking at how it's changed in, in terms of a workforce development and how you structure our workforce and i think one of the, the main tenets that that has not been underscored in, in many different people's um I've listened numerous podcasts now without plenty of time to do that. Is really understanding so how do you leverage the the new workforce? What is the new workforce for the 23rd century, and and the informal economy? And how do you upskill the informal economy who no longer can work and serve in the way they can? I think there's a there's a there's an unmet need. There's huge market opportunity for that. So uh, and and then finally which is uh, um, something that this is still very new in the market is, is how you look at, at this, what I call community inclusion currency, really new, very, very uh, controversial. But I think that there's, there might be a challenge in, the, in this post COVID or COVID pandemic is, is what, what to do with the current currencies of, of the different nations and, and how that well may or may not serve us well. And so those are those are not, I don't know what they call it a call to action, but I would ask entrepreneurs to, to map to that, <laughs> to really think about whether or not the technology that you're trying to create maps to those areas of deficiencies that are, that are deficiencies that are global deficiencies. Mm -hmm. Those are my parting words. And I think the, the final parting word that I would say is that think of yourself as not any citizen in any nation, but that, to, that you're a global citizen. And as a global citizen, what are your obligations? What are what are the, the, the your creativity, your the sources that you have in you that you can actually impart to the world and, and really make a, 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 a much larger footprint than you can actually you have more influence than you think in the future. I, I think I want I want people to embrace that and to really look at the future as, as, as very bright and to leverage your creativity toward that. That's a really positive ending of our episode. Uh, my call to action is going to be actually kind of the opposite. I highly encourage every single U.S. listener of mine to think of themselves as the U.S. citizen first because the United States provides a ton of helpful resources to the entrepreneurs. So definitely take a look, you know, search for grants. I will uh, leave a link to one of the episodes that I had with the government-sponsored accelerator, which is just super great. Uh, it's located in Los Angeles specifically, but we've discussed pretty much every uh, aspect of government support available for the startup founders. So definitely take a look at the episode description because I'll include a few links that Dale mentioned as well and the links to the, uh, to the other episode focusing on the startup community support by the U.S. government. And have a good day.
Oh, um, before you go, uh-huh. that's okay. Before you go, I would also like to add, if it's all right, you know, if you now for those who are interested in, in developing um, their company and, and getting market traction in the U.S., please reach out to me, and and you know, our our um, uh, my colleagues and myself are happy to uh, help you with um, understanding the disciplines of an entrepreneurial and the mindset, and and what it, and help you connect with Silicon Valley leaders and who have domain expertise, as well as establish partnerships to um, include raising capital. So please, with that, you know, contact me at Gail at OnsanteLLC.com or on Twitter at, at Onsante. Perfect. I'll definitely leave links to both your Twitter and your email. So definitely feel free to contact Gail. And have a good day.